Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Our top story, at least $3 billion in U.S. capital allegedly funneled to advance China's military buildup. Where did the money go? An ousting of Chinese batteries. Under pressure from lawmakers, a U.S. energy firm is withdrawing products made by tech company CATL. This has concerned mounts over the company's ties to the Chinese regime. A group of lawmakers take aim at TikTok's Chinese parent company, pushing to add it to the U.S. export control list and safeguard American data. And millions of dollars in false eyelashes from North Korea pouring into Western markets. But the beauty products are labeled made in China. An investigation delves in. Over $3 billion of American funds allegedly poured into advancing China's military capabilities. That $3 billion all from just five American venture capital firms. Lawmakers say the actual money flow is likely to be billions more. The House Select China Committee is pushing to cut off the investment flow to the tech sector. Its chairman, Congressman Mike Gallagher, said, quote, We can't afford to keep funding our own destruction. The committee published a new report Thursday. It said five U.S. venture capital firms invested at least $3 billion into certain Chinese AI and semiconductor companies, and that some of those companies have contracts with the Chinese military and help the regime commit human rights abuses. The American firms include Sequoia Capital, Qualcomm, Walden International, GGV Capital, and GSR Ventures. AI and semiconductors hold critical military use for the globe's top superpowers. America now leads that race, but Beijing is trying to take the top spot. The report noted the American investments were made years ago, but proved critical to their early success. Some of them went on to become China's largest AI and semiconductor companies. And many are now sitting on Washington's blacklist. American venture capital investments into China have seen a sharp decline in recent years. The total hit a little over $1 billion in 2010, then shot up to a peak of over $19 billion in 2018, then plummeted to $1.3 billion in 2022. Last year, President Biden issued an executive order limiting U.S. investment in some Chinese semiconductor and AI companies. Fast forward to today, the House China Committee is calling for even more restrictions on U.S. investments into China. Of the companies highlighted in the report, Sequoia Capital told the Wall Street Journal that its China arm managed most of the company's investments in the country. The top investment firm separated its businesses in China and America last year amid rising tensions. Qualcomm said it only invested a small amount into China. Joining us now to discuss more on why U.S. firms are investing heavily in China is Michael Sikora, founder and director of the Socrates Project from the Reagan White House. Michael Sikora, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Uh, well, thank you very much. It's great to be here. Now, a House panel recently investigated five U.S. venture capital firms as case studies, and the lawmakers found that these firms had invested $3 billion into blacklisted Chinese companies that are supporting Beijing's human rights abuses, technology, and military. What's driving these U.S. investments into China? Well, returns. And it's more than just a quick return. Xi Jinping has repeatedly said 
that technology is the driver and the strength of a country. He knows it. They're pushing that. That means that their drive to be dominant in technology is not a campaign promise. It's not going to be overridden any moment by another change in administration. So if we look at financial aspect, that's just a very small piece of the overall Chinese national technology strategy. Money is where the power comes from, which is false. It is technology, which Jinping in China knows. But what we will end up doing is giving a financial response to this, which means just trying to block it. The problem is that amounts to a very fragmented defensive point solution, which is going up against a unified national technology strategy. On that note, what is the type of response that the U.S. needs to take? How would that look like in practice? It is not industrial policy like people would think, but rather it is how does the country work as a team to exploit technology more effectively than the competition, which means decisions are made at the individual organization, state, and national level. That's what the Socrates project, which I directed, was designed to accomplish and which President Reagan blessed off on and was supposed to be implemented to say to solve this exact problem. Now, this does come as there is a lot of talks of either decoupling or de-risking from China and other adversaries. With the findings of this type of a report, how do you see that impacting U.S. companies? Is this a cautionary tale to them? Is this going to help decoupling or maybe not? Well, this idea of decoupling is just naive. Okay, and the classic, I mean, it's a black and white. It's a black and white argument. We're either going to decouple or we're going to get in bed with them so strongly they can't, they don't want to hurt us. Both of them are very naive. First of all, we can't decouple from China. China is integrated throughout the world. And even if we say we're not going to directly work with them, they just work through other paths. So what we must do is understand their national technology strategy, what technologies they need, how they're exploiting them, and outmaneuver them. It's a massive game of technology exploitation chess played out worldwide. Quite fascinating indeed. Michael Sikora, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. U.S. utility firm Duke Energy is planning to oust products made by Chinese battery company CATL. The delinking process is set to start with a green energy project at a U.S. Marine Corps base. The move has been in the works for some time. According to a Reuters report, Duke Energy temporarily disconnected CATL batteries from its solar panels at the same military base in December. The decision comes as lawmakers and security experts warn that Chinese state-backed hackers are targeting critical U.S. infrastructure, including power grids, and using those batteries could make America vul more vulnerable. Lawmakers also sounded the alarm about the Chinese company's ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Aside from military uses, Duke Energy confirmed with NTD that it's also looking to remove CATL products from its civilian projects by 2027, adding it will source from domestic suppliers instead. In the past year, lawmakers have been pushing the U.S. to stay away from Chinese batteries. This year's annual defense spending bill bans the Defense Department from buying CATL products starting in 2027. 
an effort to protect American data, 15 lawmakers urging the Commerce Department to take action on TikTok Thursday. They're asking the department to add TikTok's Chinese parent company ByteDance to the government's export control list and restrict its access to American software. This comes after efforts to ban TikTok stalled in Congress. TikTok has gained massive popularity in the U.S. Over 170 million Americans use the app. But lawmakers are concerned that ByteDance could access data on its American users through TikTok. Under Chinese law, Chinese companies must hand over user data if officials ask for it. TikTok denies giving U.S. data to the Chinese regime. Over 30 U.S. states have banned TikTok from government-issued devices, largely due to security and data collection concerns. Some also accuse the app of pushing dangerous content toward children. More from the Indo-Pacific, the United States and the Philippines are holding joint naval drills in the South China Sea starting Friday. The exercise marks the third round of South China Sea drills between the two countries in the past four months. Alongside growing Chinese aggression, the U.S. and Philippines are strengthening their ties, both to counter China and protect peace in the region. China claims almost the entire body of water as its own. A 2016 international arbitration ruled that invalid. Vessels owned by the Philippines and neighboring countries face frequent harassment from Chinese Coast Guard ships there. On top of that, the Philippines recently ordered infrastructure and defense improvements in the Bataan's province. The area sits just over 120 miles from Taiwan. The island nation's defense ministry announced a decision on Tuesday. Two days later, Beijing sent out a warning that the Philippines is, quote, playing with fire. China sees Taiwan as a core interest and part of its territory. The ruling Chinese Communist Party has never governed the island. A message from China to the West, any country that stands in the way of Beijing's actions to take control of Taiwan will face a heavy price. The warning comes from the Chinese embassy in Tokyo after the U.S. concluded maritime drills with allies Japan and Australia on Thursday. The eight-day drills are known as the Keen Edge Exercise, held at Hawaiian and Japanese bases. As for what sparked Beijing's anger, Japanese media reported that the three militaries set Beijing as the hypothetical enemy and that the operations mainly simulated protecting Taiwan from a potential Chinese invasion. Japanese media cited anonymous government sources. Beijing said Tokyo denied the report's accuracy. Nevertheless, tensions around Taiwan are at a historical high. Grant Newsham is a retired U.S. Marine colonel and senior researcher on Japan's strategic operations. Shedding light on the purpose of the drill, he said it's almost by definition directed at China. In an email to American news source Stars and Stripes, he underlined the drill as an expanded effort to protect Taiwan from potential Chinese attacks and pointed to the drill's increased cyber and space defense powers as evidence of that goal. Millions of dollars in sales of North Korean false eyelashes marketed in beauty stores around the world as made in China. These products helped drive a recovery in the secretive state's exports last year. Take a look. Where are your false eyelashes really coming from? Despite the Made in China label, they may be coming from neighboring North Korea. Reuters spoke to people working in the eyelash industry, trade lawyers, and experts on North Korea's economy who described a system in which China-based firms import semi-finished products from North Korea, which are then completed and repackaged as Chinese. 
The lashes are then exported from China and make their way to the West, Japan and South Korea. This system gives Kim Jong-un's regime a way to skirt international sanctions, providing a vital source of foreign currency. This is Pingdu, China, also known as the eyelash capital of the world. Wang Tingting's family owns Manshiri, a Pingdu-based eyelash factory. About 80% of eyelash factories here purchase or process false eyelash raw materials and semi-finished products from North Korea, according to a 2023 estimate published by Cali, a Chinese manufacturer of eyelash boxes. Manshiri is one of them. The quality of the North Korean products is much better than that of our domestic ones, but the delivery is just too slow. North Korea has long been a major exporter of hair products like wigs and false lashes, but exports tumbled during the COVID-19 pandemic. Initially, it was about the ships. Either they were detained or couldn't dock. After being detained, when they finally arrived in China, they get held up again. After Pyongyang reopened its borders in 2023, Chinese customs data shows North Korea's exports to China more than doubled with wigs, eyelashes, and beards compromising nearly 60% of it. In total, these exports were worth around $167 million in 2023, up from $31 million in 2019. Since 2006, the UN Security Council has tried to stall Pyongyang's nuclear weapons program through sanctions. That's restricted North Korea's ability to trade products like coals, textiles, and oil. But there's no direct ban on hair products. So trading false eyelashes from North Korea doesn't necessarily violate international law, according to three sanctions experts who spoke to Reuters. The United States has separately expanded measures against North Korea, which include sanctions on any company stocking or selling products whose sales fund the Kim regime, a restriction that also applies to non-American firms using the U.S. dollar. Here's Shing Tong Chan, a South Korean lawyer specializing in economic sanctions. If you ignore the widely known fact and say it is all right to import the products and use them as they were labeled as made in China, this can be a very risky attitude that can violate U.S. sanctions. Seoul-based businessman Johnny Lee imports lashes, which he says are made in North Korea and packaged in China. When asked about the legal risks, he said he wasn't selling sophisticated technology. The North Korean workers are just trying to make a living there. The money they make might go into developing missiles, but only if the business is happening in a big scale. The U.S. State Department and international experts estimate that North Korea seizes up to 90 percent of foreign income generated by its citizens, many of whom live in poverty. Coming up, Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley says India is playing it smart, swinging its position between Moscow and Washington while giving the White House a warning. U.S. lawmaker Mike Gallagher calls the competition with communist China a struggle of souls. He explains why in a recent speech. And zooming in on Chinese-backed websites disguised as local news websites, our guess is the Chinese regime is leveraging openness in U.S. society. More on his analysis after the break here on China in Focus. 
Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. GOP presidential candidate Nikki Haley says India is shifting closer to Russia because it perceives the Biden administration as too weak. Here's what she told Fox News. I just got to ask you because you put out a tweet earlier today. Listen, no, I've dealt with India too, Charles. I got to say, I've dealt with India too. I've talked with Modi. India wants to be a partner with us. They don't want to be a partner with Russia. The problem is India doesn't trust us to win. They don't trust us to lead. They see right now that we're weak. India has always played it smart. They've played it smart and they've stayed close with Russia because that's where they get a lot of their military equipment. When we start to lead again, when we start to get the weakness out and stop putting our head in the sand, that's when our friends India, Australia, New Zealand, all of them will, and and Israel, Japan, South Korea, all of them want to do that. Japan gave themselves a billion-dollar stimulus to become less dependent on China. India gave themselves a billion-dollar stimulus to become less dependent on China. It's going to take a lot more than that, We need to start building up our Uh, alliances. The Indian-American politician's remarks hinting at India's alliance plans. Washington sees India as a strategic partner in the Indo-Pacific region, and India is waving back. Tensions in the region have been escalating. India's border sees frequent clashes with Chinese troops. But India's stance on both the West and U.S. adversaries is on a pendulum. One major factor it considers which side can meet its weapons needs. India is the largest weapons importer in the world. Russia has historically been India's largest arms supplier, but that position could shift. Moscow's ability to export weapons has plummeted amid its war with Ukraine. Worth noting, Washington granted New Delhi a sanctions waiver in 2022. It allows India to purchase arms from Russia without being seen as violating U.S. rules. Under the Chinese Communist Party, today's China is shifting further away from democracy and freedom. Representative Mike Gallagher unveiled his perspective on the CCP in a recent speech, shedding light on how he views the most heated competition in the world, the contest between the U.S. and China. Take a listen. Men have forgotten. In his speech, Mike Gallagher argued about the true opposite of communism. The opposite of communism is not capitalism, it is not democracy, it is faith in God. He added the U.S. competition with the Chinese Communist Party is one between capitalism and communism, saying in reality, It is at its core a struggle for souls. Because communism itself is not a political economic system. It's a perverted inverse religion. It's an all-consuming ideology imposed not by free belief, but by force and indoctrination. Gallagher explained that the CCP runs a comprehensive system to spread its ideology and also pointed to the differences between a faith-based Western society and the life under an authoritarian regime. Its churches are the labor camps, the gulags, the re-education centers. Its confession booths are torture chambers. Its priests are the censors, the propagandists, the secret police. He described life under communism as a series of rewards and punishments doled out by the CCP. To end his comments, Gallagher quoted a well-known Soviet dissident as saying that great disasters had befallen Russia because... Men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. Mike Gallagher gave the speech last Thursday at the National Prayer Breakfast Gathering. 
New reports find that the Chinese regime is behind over 100 websites disguised as local news outlets, and they're pushing pro-CCP content. Joining us to discuss the Chinese regime's political warfare with retired General Robert Spaulding. Now, a digital watchdog has found that China is behind a hundred websites that appear like local news sites. Now, this is across Europe, Asia, and Latin America. Now, they're adding that this is part of a widespread influence campaign by China to push pro-Beijing content. Now, given that over half of the world has elections this year, how do you see this tying into that? Well, the Chinese Communist Party practices political warfare. Um, It's something that we used to be able to, to do. We did it during the first Cold War. We had something called the U.S. Information Agency. Um, you know, in that case, it was putting out transparency and truth. Um, public diplomacy is what we call it in the United States. And I think we got out of the business of that because we thought there wasn't really a threat to democracy anymore. And in reality, all of these authoritarian regimes led by China, so this acts of evil, if you will, led by China, are bound and determined to convince the populations of free countries that their system is better. And they leverage the economies of the West to be able to do that, so technology, talent, and capital. But also they leverage the openness of those societies in order to get at those that population. And we haven't figured out yet that this is important for us to block, to stop this capability, because it's not uh, about free speech. It's really about uh, destroying the belief in our values and principles. And I think that's something that we need to defend against. And it's just, it's, it's been accelerated during the digital age. And it's something that we haven't yet come to grips with. And so it's something that's important. Um, but Washington, D.C. doesn't seem yet to really realize the fundamental threat that it poses to our democracy. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Coming up on NTD, stay tuned for America's Hope with Kelly Wright. Tonight, Kelly takes us on a musical journey with guest Claudette Robinson, known as the First Lady of Motown and is part of a rich musical legacy. That's tonight at 10 p.m. after China in Focus. Thanks for watching. See you soon.